Welcome to God's Planning, contemplative preachers, contemporary age. Each week, join the Dominican friars as they consider all things Catholic. Hello, friends. Welcome back to God's Planning. I'm Father Patrick Mary Briscoe, and I'm joined by the lanky and languished-looking Father Gregory Maria Pine. <laughs> I shouldn't tease him so broadly. He's really a handsome fellow, but uh, he's sort of like there cracking his neck, you know, worried about his uh, figure. Yes, look at look at him. Send him food. Thank he's, you. He needs sustenance there in Switzerland. <laughs> How are you, Father Gregory? I'm doing well. You know, I am tall. I am hungry. I am hunted looking, but I would say that all things work to the good for the tired and hunted looking. Um, that's Romans with slight emendation. So yeah, I think things are going pretty well. Thanks. That's right. Continuing your race with the hound of heaven who pursues you. As it were, quite naturally. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know exactly what it is that I'm running from. Perhaps I shouldn't psychoanalyze myself, you know, on the spur of the moment for fear of what might arise. But uh, yeah, I <laughs> think of Alexander guess. Hamilton. Yeah, exactly. Right. Just airing my... Uh, dirty laundry or weird laundry as it were but i think of um what is it uh, alexander hamilton you know like in uh, in hamilton the musical there's that one song is like why are you always writing like you're running out of time i sometimes ask that of myself like when i'm thinking like ah, i have to get something out of the library i know what i'll do between here and there which walk is like 22 seconds i'll read a book i'm like what why am i so weird who did this to me i was like you did it to yourself okay so i'll stop but yep yep things are going well weird but well Life is short. Work hard. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully, we'll merit condignly. Oops. There it is. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> hopefully, we'll merit congressly with Jesus, uh, our eternal rest. Mm. Amen. Hallelujah. So uh, now that I've introduced some theological terms, we actually wanted to not talk about those terms. We're going to talk about other terms today. Rather than talking about merit, we're going to talk about grace. Uh, because... We desire, after about a year and a half of the show, to reflect a little bit intentionally on the show. So we thought that everyone would love some protracted <laughs> navel-gazing. <laughs> that's, not, that's not exactly what we're going to do. But we want, we want to talk about um, one of our pet theological themes as Dominicans, which is our understanding of divine grace, what it means to respond to grace, um, what, it, what it means to talk about God being active in your life, because that's what the show is about. Uh, so we, we have our name, God's Planning, and we're trying to bring God into everyday Catholic living in the 21st century, which is, you know, not as much of a stretch as you would think, which is why I think people are responding to the show and like it. Um, so to that end, Father Gregory, let's start with our conversation about grace. Um, what does grace mean? You have to give your one sentence definition. What is grace? Grace is a participation in God's divine life. It's funny. When you asked me that, I thought of a story that our novice master told us in the novitiate when he was uh, administering, uh, we will not say when, we will not say where, but he was administering exams nice. to students. And um, he asked one of them whom he had taught for some time about what grace was and the, the individual was unable to respond, even though that was like the purpose of an entire course. So as you asked me, I was like, don't blow it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but it's a participation, so a sharing in, and that doesn't have to be too uh, high-flying of a like philosophical term. It just means our partaking of God's inner life, God's divine life, albeit in a created way, right? So not as God lives it, right? But in a way that is very much bound up with how God lives it. Do you remember St. Augustine's definition? Do I remember St. Mm, I don't, actually. Do you? It's like God's own God's own life in us. 
Boom. Yeah. I can dig just it. It's like the very succinct, you know, sharing, <clears throat> sharing in God's own inner life and love, which is an incredible thing. So like one of the things that we need to nail down, like what is grace? Grace is the means by which we are changed to heaven, as it were. It's, yeah. it's the thing that it's the thing that connects us to God. So how is it? How is it that you can? How is it that you can um, draw on God? How is it that you can be joined to him? Well, it's by recognizing that there is this thing, that there is this God's love, which is extended to you, that, that is reaching out to you, that um, you, that you can't be separated from unless you intentionally, intentionally separate yourself from it. Um, it yeah. is otherwise, it is otherwise always yours to call upon. Um, so grace is, grace is freely given. Um, you know, it's, it's all around us, you know, <laughs> something like mystical grace. Nice. All Wonderful. around us there. But like, how do we, how do we get grace? Father Gregory, do we go to the grace store, try on some, try on some grace, find the right size of grace for me, complain that the grace that I wanted wasn't there return. Yeah. No, I, I would actually use more the analogy of like merit badges, right. And boy scouts and girl scouts, yeah, you know, there are like 11, uh, different steps that one has to undertake in order to be given grace in a kind of transactual, uh, no arrangement as it were. No. So, um, St. St. Thomas has this beautiful little article in the Summa where he talks about the meaning of the word grace, which for him is just gratia, which you recognize. Right. And he says, uh, it has three basic senses. Okay. So the first is that it is freely given. Okay. So when you have something gratuitously, right? It's, it's unmerited, right? It's, it's not something that you yourself have worked for, right? So this sense that it's freely given is the first sense. The second, he says, is the gift itself, right? So there is something that is actually imparted. And then the third, he says, is the gratitude that we render, right? Grazia, gratitude. So, so grace, when you, when you think about it under this aspect of just the very meaning of the word, it gives you a sense for a kind of going forth from and returning to God, right? So from whom does it come? It comes from God, okay, specifically through the Lord Jesus Christ, who merits grace for us uh, by all of the deeds and sufferings of his earthly life, but especially the paschal mystery, right? One drop of his blood, St. Bernard says, is sufficient for the salvation of the whole world, but Christ sheds all of his blood to show us just how freely, just how gratuitously that gift is given, right? And then it, it lodges, right, to speak in somewhat crass metaphorical language, in our souls, Right, so uh, those of you who, who read some Flannery O'Connor know that her collection of letters is called Habit of Being, right? St. Thomas describes grace as a kind of habit of being. And the image that he uses to describe it is um, health, okay? So like, you wouldn't say that someone is healthy for the most part, right? You wouldn't say like, yeah, that person's like, they're doing great, except for the multiple sclerosis. You'd be like, no, that, <laughs> that person is not healthy. So in order for you to be healthy, uh, you have to be healthy all the way through, healthy as a whole person. And, and in our own experience, when there's even something small that demands our attention health-wise, it, it just kind of undoes us psychologically. So grace, he says, is like health of the whole soul. So it signals the well-functioning of the whole human being, uh, but not only in a, a natural level, but in a supernatural level, because it, it makes us partakers in the life of God. And it gives rise to acts, right? So we talked about it in terms of this third sense of thanksgiving, it gives rise to acts of, you know, faith, hope, charity. It gives rise to acts of, you know, gratitude, et cetera, um, which, which we would kind of tender in the life of the church and the life of the sacraments and the life of prayer and things like that. 
I realized after having given that whole explanation, I don't think I answered your question of how we get grace. I think that was a classic. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. It was great because, uh, you know, I said something and then you said something else. But like, that's how God's planning works. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Uh, it's so, not false. Know, this is uh, this is what this is what it's like to uh, to sit and contemplate theological mysteries because <laughs> just you just follow them where they lead you. That's I it. mean, I think it, to to just comment again on you know what you're saying another another way of seeing uh, another way of seeing and understanding what grace is. Grace then is the um, we can say that grace is the changing of our hearts so that we desire for ourselves what God desires for us. Mm. Um, you know, this is another way of talking about it as habitual, recognizing that um, recognizing that our being. Uh, our, our very selves um, is under a process of change and of uh, reformation. That's not, mm. too pro- not too Protestant a word for you, um, but, but a transformation of, uh, uh, of becoming, uh, becoming um, who, who God wants us to be. Okay. Well then let's go back after your beautiful. Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Peroration. Sis. How, how do we get it? How do we, how get, do we get grace? Right. Excellent question. So the ordinary means by which grace is given are the sacraments. Why is that? Well, Christ merits all kinds of graces for us, right? Christ institutes the church. He institutes the sacraments in the life of the church. And what he accomplished once and for all by his passion, death, and resurrection, he applies to us individual Christians one by one, right? In the context of a, of a friendship, he applies it in the sacraments, all right? So we can think about Christ uh, stores up or Christ accumulates or Christ merits all of these graces for us, and then they are applied in the sacrament. So grace is first given or infused at baptism. I mean, you can imagine other ways in which grace is given antecedent to baptism, but we're not going to muddy the waters by talking about that too much. But for all of you who the were upset by that, that yeah, the, no- <laughs> thank you. the normal ways the that God will do it yeah, would be baptism, right? So, so grace is at work in the life of the baptized in a peculiar way, because by baptism, we're cleansed of original sin, which is like sickness of soul. So just as grace is like health, so original sin is like sickness or the absence of health. Grace goes and heals and elevates our nature, right? And makes us sons and daughters of the most high God, makes us worshipers, sharers in Christ's priesthood. It gives us a place in the divine family, right? And it opens the gate or it opens the door to the other sacraments. Uh, And those would be the kind of ordinary means for those who are already baptized to grow in grace or to be restored in grace. So, Father Gregory, if we're made in the image and likeness of God, why is it that we need something else to make us like God? Oh, man. That, my friend, is an excellent question. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> right. So, we're made in the, image of, in the image and likeness of God in three basic ways, says St. Thomas Aquinas. Right. So, here he's, he's meditating with St. Augustine, uh, drawing a lot from St. Augustine's treatise on the Trinity. And he says that we can talk about this in terms of capacity, we can talk about it in terms of habit, and we can talk about it in terms of act. And you're like, all right, you went jargony on me. Nice work, chief. Well, here, let's make it simple. Basically, we have these powers of intellect and will, all right? Spiritual powers, immaterial powers, powers of an intelligent being, which make us like God, right? So we are made to the image and likeness of God by virtue of the fact that we have these yeah, these immaterial powers, these highest of capacities, which have as their object what is universally true and what is universally good, okay? So we're broken open into a world of infinity, and in that, we are like God because we are capacious, right? We're open. But left to ourselves, we do not have the resources to attain to our supernatural end. 
right? So we were made in grace, but then we chose against that grace and lost it. And as a result of which, we're kind of nostalgic or we're, we're grace haunted or having been left to ourselves, we still have the taste or the savor for that divine life, which we once harbored in our souls and we long to recover it, okay? But what the Lord Jesus does isn't just like, all right, let's return you back to Eden. He does something greater. Mm -hmm. He does something that is how much more, as St. Paul says in Romans 5. So he, he gives us that grace anew, but rather than it being something that would have just been part and parcel, right, with our human nature, now it's something that he kind of recovers for us and dispenses in us as the fruit of a friendship, which binds us up with him interpersonally in a way that's yeah, just far richer, right? So, so it's, we can sing with St. Augustine, oh, happy fault, which merits for us such a savior. Because now we know in living technicolor how good God is, how much he loves us, how very dignified and worthy our nature is to suffer and die for, right? Our high destiny of being partakers of the divine nature and the fact that it's possible because Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, has gone before us. So we're open to it, but we've lost it. And now we have the savor, we have the taste, we have the memory of it, but we find ourselves utterly without resources to recover that life. And so the Lord Jesus does in us what we cannot do for ourselves. And so what, what is formerly just a capacity now becomes a habit whereby we know God with his own love, right? And we love him with his own love and get drawn up progressively in the life of the church and in the life of the sacraments to actually abide at the heart of the most blessed Trinity, right? So we are made on that trajectory, but the gift of grace accomplishes it in a accomplishes it in us so that we might be drawn uh, over the course of our lives and ultimately unto ages of ages into the life of the most blessed trinity which so, it is good news <laughs> that's right so taking us far beyond just like a healing of our own human nature grace grace elevates and when you just use that word elevate you don't get a sense of what's going on you know it just kind of falls flat um, which is why yeah. father gregory diving into this mystery and taking us taking us to the heights as it were mm. that is so important to say that grace just not only it not only heals our nature but it it totally um explodes a, a previously limiting horizon and opens us op opens us to new worlds of life um you know and in this way that's that's grace is what makes possible prayer Grace, uh, grace is what brings into our world miracles, the kind of superseding of the, the uh, of nature. Grace is what allows us to understand um, supernatural, super rational truths. Um, this is why this is why we can explain the logic of faith and why someone someone absent from grace um, will will lack the virtue of faith. Um, grace is what allows us to contemplate the mystery of the cross and to see the cross as something as something um, you know truly transformative. Um, on the horizon of human life. Okay, but now we're going to stop. You know, you can soak all of that in um, as we've just been wandering around about grace. And um, when we get back, we will um, keep talking about grace. <laughs> <laughs> This is God's Planning. Get up to date on all our latest episodes at opeast.org slash godsplaining. And we're back. Thanks for tuning into God's Planning. Um, sometimes it, people look for grace um, and struggle to find it. Sometimes grace comes crashing into their lives. You know, just before we took off in the break, I talked about the mystery of someone not having faith um, because grace, grace is not present and great grace is what allows us um, to believe. Um, so one example of this is the great uh, French poet and playwright Paul Claudel, um, a person that I 
love to read and um, to think about. Uh, I just think Claudel was so brilliant. Um, we should do a future episode on Claudel in his own right. Anyway, the story of Paul Claudel's conversion in brief is that he was at Vespers in the great cathedral of Notre Dame of Paris. Um, and he was listening to the choir sing the Magnificat, Mary's great hymn of praise on Christmas day in 1886. And he said, in an instant, I was converted and I believed. Hmm. And in fact, in Notre Dame, I mean, I hope that it will still be there after the restoration. There's a little plaque that says, Ici se converti Paul Claudel. Here, nice. Paul Claudel was converted. <laughs> uh, and so sometimes grace just comes crashing down upon you. And he's, he says, uh, Claudel says again, in an instant, my heart was touched and I believed. And Claudel, from that moment, he was a young man at the time, from that moment, he remained a faithful and active Catholic for the rest of his life. So sometimes grace just comes crashing upon you. And I think one of the reasons why um, Dominican friars tend to like Flannery O'Connor is because she depicts the kind of violence of grace just crashing down on people. Um, do you want to talk about that a little, Father Gregory? Paint a picture for us of how grace comes into people's lives. Sure, yeah. Um, Flannery O'Connor was fond of portraying the the kind of dawn of grace in a way that would discomfort her readers, right? Because she wanted to show that grace itself is somewhat discomforting. And, you know, in our own experience, especially for those who have converted, you know that, um, you know, like the life of grace or growth in the life of grace can mean serious cost, serious travail, sometimes uh, serious difficulty. Like for instance, if your whole life is bound up with a prior faith commitment, and then you convert to Catholicism, then there's a lot about your life that's going to change. And some of that is going to be hard and sad, right? There are going to be people who don't understand your change or don't understand the reason for which you converted. And they may think that that is, you know, like a serious threat to your friendship. They may think that that's a rejection of your former life and all that went with it, including them. And I don't know, there's just gonna be a lot of things about it that are tough. And so it doesn't, it doesn't help us to sugarcoat it, right? It's, um, it's more helpful, in fact, to speak about it in very realistic terms. And this really was the, was the point, uh, in part, of Flannery O'Connor's uh, literary project. Now, mind you, she didn't, she didn't write for explicitly evangelical purposes. When asked, why is it that you write? She said, because I'm good at it. Um, so she didn't say, like, you know what I want to do? I want to edify people, you know, or I want to tell a catechetical story or blah, blah, blah. No, she just, she just wrote what she saw. Uh, she tried to write what was true and often came to discover that, um, yeah, like the work that she was about was often about uh, grace in uh, territory held largely by the devil, as she wrote of it. One of those uh, quotes that you often hear trotted out uh, as uh, Flannery O'Connor writes in his short essay about like the writer in the South and the, the work of fiction. She describes the reason for which she deploys such violence in communicating the point of her stories. And she says, uh, for those who are nearly blind, you draw large and startling figures, right? So there's like a longer introduction. She says, you know, for those who are hard of hearing, you shout. For those who are nearly blind, you draw large and startling figures. The idea being basically that we as a culture have grown weary of the gospel. It's not so much that we know it and have found it wanting. It's just that we've grown tired of its announcement or that its announcement itself has become tired in its cultural instantiation. And so she thought that we need to be brought back to our senses. And so oftentimes that's, that's precisely what happens with her characters. Um, so I don't know, like uh, if you have particular favorites uh, or particularly uh, 
you know, like wonderful uh, memories of some of those short stories that we would have read in the novitiate. Um, I don't know, good country people or displaced person, things like that. One of my favorites is um, in uh, a good, a good man is hard to find, right? So that's a story about a family that's taking a car trip and they have their grandmother with them and she's a Royal pain. She's just an, a really annoying woman and she's insecure and she's kind of brash and she's kind of blah, 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 thus and such because she causes all kinds of problems because she tells them the wrong direction. She brings her cat, the cat gets out of the car. Well, the cat gets out of the bag and then they end up overturning their car in a ditch. And meanwhile, there's like a murderer about and they happen upon him. And I'm not going to ruin the story for those of you who haven't read it, but basically it it's, she is brought to the point of finally manifesting her dignity as a human being right, of finally showing herself to be a daughter of God, showing herself to be somebody capable of empathy, capable of compassion, only by all of these terrible, terrible circumstances, which eventuate in her being brought before what may ultimately prove her death. I will not tell you how it ends. I'm tempted, but I shan't. Um, but it's, it takes that, right? And, and, you know, contemporaries of Flannery O'Connor would read the story, and they'd be like, this is just impious how could you do that and she just had no patience for these types of condemnations because she thought that this is truer to form this is what the real world is right my favorite my favorite character is uh joy the atheist phd in <laughs> philosophy who changes her name to the startling holga um in good country people that she she is my very favorite um o'connor character um but uh, she she experiences reality in a very um, vulgar and brash way, right? Uh, uh, again, I don't want to give away all of good country people, um, so I won't. But the but the important thing is, um, in this character, you see someone who believes that they have the world totally figured out, mm. um, and is confronted with the fact that she doesn't. Uh, you know, and she's humbled in such a dramatic way in the story. Um, and I think that's what divine grace does to us. And um, because we, we can want to believe that, that we have everything um, settled in our lives in just such a way that we always know exactly what's going to happen. And we can be the interpreters and arbiters uh, of our own future. And that's just not true. It's just, it's just not true about human life. And um, which is why I love this quote from Jacques Maritain that um, we do not need a truth to serve us. We need a truth that we can serve. And this is what grace does. It fills our hearts and allows us um, to, to live in the light of the greatest truths um, rather than trying to construct a world um, which we can comfortably inhabit. Um, divine grace allows us to encounter the world as it actually is, to see the truest things as they really are and to be transformed and changed by them, to, to, to serve them and to recognize that in serving the greatest truth of the world that, that I will be happy that it will give me actual joy. And I won't need to change my name to Hoga. Uh, <laughs> as this Flannery O'Connor character does, but this is, this is, this is what will satisfy the deepest longings of my heart. Not create, not trying to recreate myself, not trying to recreate the world, but allowing myself to be remade in service of the truth. Yeah. That, that is a fulfilling life. Yeah. Yeah. There's something too, I guess, um, I'm conscious of the fact that sometimes when we hear sensational stories of conversions like that of Paul, Cla mm. Mm, Paul Claudel, we can judge ourselves deficient by comparison, right? I myself have never had any experience of that kind of magnitude uh, or anything that communicated with such clarity in such singular fashion, you know, in an instant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I kind of like when people always ask me to tell my vocation story. I'm like, why? It's boring. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, how about I tell somebody else's? You know, one of my friends <laughs> has a great one. Yeah, I was born boring. I grew up boring, and I'm still boring. Um, but I think that the the idea is not that we draw attention to the sensational character of those stories, but that we draw attention to the marvelous character of those stories. Um, but as a way by which to kind of bring into focus how very marvelous is the ordinary operation of grace. So I came across a passage in C.S. Lewis's Miracles. And in that, he's I think he's quoting George MacDonald, the fantasy writer whom he loved very much. But MacDonald is actually working with St. Augustine's meditation on John chapter 2. And what they're all meditating on is, what is it that's going on in miracles? And they have different ways of um, categorizing miracles. But one of the ways in which they categorize miracles are miracles do in an instant what ordinarily takes a while. Okay, so they use this passage right from John 2, where the Lord Jesus Christ is presented with the fact that this couple has no wine. And so he has them fill, you know, like six large ritual washing jars, each containing 20 to 30 gallons with water to the brim. And then he changes them into wine so that the feasting, the merrymaking, the enjoyment of the couple would perdure until the end of the feast. Right. So the Lord takes water and makes wine and he does it instantaneously. But St. Augustine says, how was wine ordinarily made? He says, the rain falls, it waters the vineyard, the grapes grow, they're gathered, they're crushed, they ferment, and you have wine. But effectively, you start with water and you end with wine. And so the sensational miracle shows us in an you know, extraordinary fashion, basically, how marvelous is the ordinary dispensation, right? Rain becomes wine. That's wild, right? But so too, when we look at the lives of people like Paul Caudell, we can reckon with the fact that God does marvelous things in infusing grace into his soul and turning that soul to him. But he's doing the same work in each and every one of us who live, you know, by faith, by hope, by charity, who pray, who frequent the sacraments, who adopt some penances in our life, who try to cultivate Christian friendships, who study the faith a bit. And all those things can seem like boring or mundane or quotidian to use thesaurus words um but but like the point there being that grace is operative in your life even if you can't sense it even if you can't feel it if it may not be particularly consoling at any one moment yet grace is operative and that's the point to consent to and cooperate with that so that it will have its effect namely that water becomes wine so this is the project of god's planning then you know just talking about god active in these things um in our in our daily lives and the things that we think about you know which is why we talk about all kinds of random topics even the ones as we joke that father bonaventure proposes um well it's why we it's why we talk about so many things because god is there active among them um in them and uh and wants to through them draw us close to himself so ultimately this work is happening in our lives um in a quiet way by divine grace um and uh will continue to expand the horizons of our lives um, and allows us to sing of God's goodness, which is why we also like the quote from the Pange Lingua, uh, which is one of the beautiful hymns that St. Thomas Aquinas wrote for the Feast of Corpus Christi, um, singing of this great mystery of the Holy Eucharist, the mystery of God's grace, God himself even, um, a greater gift even than just his grace, and the gift of God's own presence here before us. Um, but that hymn, the Pange Lingua, begins with those words, Pange Lingua Gloriosi or as we might translate it, sing my tongue of the Savior's glory or tell my tongue of the mystery. 
Um, so this idea of God's planning is just the idea of talking about the things that we encounter in a life of faith. And this, in a way, is the particular vocation of the Dominican friar to be a preacher of grace, to imitate St. Dominic, who always spoke to or about God, um, but is, in fact, um, the Christian vocation to talk about the ways that God's grace has transformed your life, has changed the things that you've loved, and has um, redefine the horizons of the kinds of things that you're willing to live for. Christians, Christians should be comfortable in this sphere. Uh, and, and we are because we're animated by, by God's grace, um, always present in our hearts, um, continuing to sanctify and, and enable us to do this. So, you know, we're weaving in these kinds of themes from these quotes from Flannery O'Connor, from uh, Jacques Maritain, um, the first line of St. Thomas Aquinas is great, him, the Pange Lingua, but these, these represent part of the culture of um, the project of this podcast and um, in fact is further explained by um, engaging this great theological mystery that God would give us a share of his own inner life and that he would allow us to participate in the mystery of his love. Any closing thoughts, Father Gregory? Do I have any closing thoughts? Um, well, for those of you listening to this episode on the day that it drops, tomorrow is New Year's Day. It's a day of resolutions. And I think sometimes the spirit of resolutions is to do the things, right? But um, maybe with this conversation about grace in the background, your resolutions may be underwritten by a beseeching the Lord for his grace so that he might accomplish in you what you cannot accomplish for yourself. And that's an admission of weakness, yes, but it's the type of admission of weakness, which is uh, very ennobling, very encouraging, very good indeed. So God is at work in you. He'll bring his work to completion, provided only that you consent to and cooperate with his offer of himself. So that's our prayer. Amen. Well, thanks everyone for listening to the episode. Um, we hope that you would continue to like and share the podcast with those you think need to hear it. Um, we're grateful to those who support us on our patreon saying that correctly father gregory nailed it our, our patreon page um if you would like to become a supporter check it out there's a link on our website um you can get connected there through godsplaining.org um please know of our prayers we're praying for you all god bless thanks for listening to godsplaining a work of the dominican friars of the province of saint joseph Visit us at opeast.org.